0: I love the fact that even on Easter Sunday, even as you guys are kind of finding space and you have still left these three front rows open for everybody who shows up late, incredibly generous of you. I figure it's just because you're afraid that this is the spitting section. But I will admit that I've gotten way better. So I can spit way (laughs) farther. You're right. When I first came in this morning, Robin was really nice and she had set up this like... All of the flowers were right here on the front. And I'm like, yeah, those are going to last all of about 30 seconds before I punt one into the audience. And so we have moved them off to the side just so that they're a little safer, but there's still an over-under of two plants that are going to go down by the end of the service. So we'll see how it goes. Um, You know, speaking of being afraid, um, these last several years honestly have given us lots of reasons to feel fearful. I know that COVID... Toilet paper shortages, political tension, racial tension, potential World War III fomenting over in Eastern Europe, gas prices on the rise. Like, there are so many things that could cause us to feel fearful. And in fact, if you were were to turn on the television and just watch any news station, they are going to give you countless reasons to feel fearful. And yet it's Easter. And Easter, I want you to know, gives us reasons not to be fearful. There's a, I, I would imagine that many of us are walking in today feeling, in some ways, how those early disciples, the first ones on that first Easter Sunday felt, because I will tell you that they did not wake up on that first Easter Sunday excited to get dressed, knowing that there's going to be donuts waiting for them. They didn't get up excited that maybe there will be an Easter basket waiting for them. They woke up with heavy hearts. They woke up with a fear that the same thing that happened to their rabbi might happen to them. And so they were fearful. They were terrified. On that first Easter Sunday, fear had moved in. As an unwelcome house guest in their home, just like fear has moved into some of your homes as an unwelcome house guest over these last several years. And I find it very interesting that as we go through the Easter story, if you were to just read the Easter story and pay attention, you will run across a statement that is repeated over and over and over. Those first women, because it was, the guys all were hiding. Some of the ladies were courageous enough to venture out on that first Easter morning. And as they went to the tomb to pay their respects to their crucified rabbi, fully expecting to see a phalanx of Roman guards guarding a tomb that was closed. And when they got there, the tomb was wide open, the guards were gone, and there were a couple of angels just chilling there. And the very first words out of the angel's mouth are, do not be afraid. A little bit later on, those same women run into Jesus face to face. They see him with their own eyes. And the moment they see him, the first words out of Jesus's mouth to them are, do not be afraid. Later on that day as the disciples are huddled in that upper room trying to make sense of what the women have said, the grave is empty, his body is gone, we've seen him with our own eyes, as they're trying to make sense of what seems ridiculous because dead people stay dead, Jesus comes waltzing into their midst. And the very first words out of his mouth, anybody want to guess what they are? I bet you know them now. The first words off of Jesus' lips to his disciples are, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. If you were to read cover to cover in the Bible, you would run across, do not be afraid or don't be fearful or do not live in fear 365 times. Don't be afraid for every day of the year. And for good reason. We are a naturally fearful people. Fear is something that we naturally grab a hold of. It's something we hold on to because then we can at least worry about something and try to protect ourselves from being hurt. And in fact, this is nothing new. We may feel like we're living in more fear today than we may have done three years ago, but all throughout the human life cycle, we have always dealt with fear. In fact, one of the very first words off of our most ancient ancestors' lips, the very first recorded words of Adam speaking in the Bible are this. I was afraid, so I hid from you, God. I was afraid. Fear is a natural, and fear is, a, is an ancient thing that we struggle with. And so God reminds us again and again, you don't need to be afraid. And Easter reminds us that we don't need to be afraid. And we'll get to that in a moment. But I want to first address those of you here today or those of you who are watching from home that are saying, yeah, fear. I know a lot of people have given in to fear, but I haven't. I'm not afraid. Okay, well, let me give you a few synonyms to see if perhaps these fit a little bit better. Can we throw these up here? Let's try this. How about anxious? Anybody here feeling a little bit anxious or worried? Any of you? Ever deal with worry? Any of you losing sleep? How about troubled, concerned? Or maybe you're just tense, right? You're not fearful, but you're tense. Or nervous, or fretful, uneasy, upset, or how about angry? Hold on a second, Eric, now you're pushing it. Angry as a synonym for fear? What does anger have to do with fear? You're afraid that you're not being heard so you get angry. You're afraid that you're being overlooked, whether it's for a promotion or within your family, that your concerns don't matter, so you get angry. You're afraid that there are people making decisions that affect your life negatively or your family's life negatively, and you have no say in the matter, so you get angry. Anger tends to be the socially acceptable emotion that tends to be over our fear. But underneath it is fear. And I, I used to, I grew up thinking that anger and apathy were the only two acceptable male emotions, right? Those are the only two that you're allowed to feel. Either I'm angry, or I don't feel nothing. I don't fear, feel anything. Sorry, Mom. I, I, then I married a marriage and family therapist, and she taught me, oh yes, you do in fact have many emotions. Lots of them, but underneath them, more often than not, is fear. Guys, we live in a very angry world right now because we live in a very frightened world right now. Fear has become an unwelcomed guest in many of your homes and in many of your lives. I have a friend who watches a whole lot of news. And I have watched over the last several years as as I've literally watched him grip his chest in anger at decisions that are being made that he has no ability to control, all the while causing him to overlook his own family right in front of him. It's like we are spending all of this energy worried about things we don't have any control over and we're getting angry about them and we are taking our eyes off of the things that we can control. And this morning... What I want to say to you is that Easter gives us plenty, plenty of reasons for us not to fear or not to be fearful. And I want to just give you a few of them. The first reason that we don't need to live in fear, the first reason that Easter gives us hope in the midst of a fearful world is that it proves emphatically that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did what he said he would do. It it reminds us emphatically that Jesus was telling the truth. He said, I have come from the Father. I am the Messiah. I am the one who's coming to redeem you. When he forgives people's sins, they are forgiven. And how do we know that? Because of the empty tomb. So the first reason that we don't have to be afraid is because the empty tomb reminds us that Jesus was telling the truth. The second reason that we don't have to live in fear is because the empty tomb reminds us, and this is good news, that death doesn't get the last word. The empty tomb reminds us that our death does not get the last word. When you are afraid of dying, when you are afraid that if you make a mistake, you only live once, YOLO, if you make a mistake, that's it, you're done. When you have to live in fear, it can be debilitating. But when you are not, no longer need to live in fear, it frees you to actually live, I got a beautiful picture of this a couple of years ago, right at the height of COVID, right when th- we had been kind of shut down for a while. We'd been having to, to stream all of our services. I wasn't able to see most of your faces. And the first Sunday we came back, I'd sent out an email. Hey, guys, we get to, we are going to gather in here together. But recognizing that we're still in COVID and that there are still, th- if you're 65 or older, you might want to consider watching from home. The very first two people through the door on that Sunday morning were Merv Grivey and Ben. Merv and Ben, my two World War II veterans, both of them in their mid-90s, walked through the door, and I literally walked up to them. They go, all right, guys, what are you doing here? I will never forget, Merv looks at me, and he says, we're not afraid, Eric. (laughs) We're on borrowed time, and we would much rather be here with our church family than home alone. Merv and Ben were not operating out of a state of fear. They weren't afraid of death. Even though we don't take it lightly, they were not living in fear. And that story came back to me this week because as some of you might know, Merv went to be home with Jesus on Thursday. This Easter message is more meaningful right now because he He reminds me, he didn't live in fear, and I guarantee you he is not living in fear anymore. We grieve because we're separated from somebody that we love, but he's not grieving right now. He's rejoicing. He's at home with his Lord and his Savior, and he is reunited with his bride, Jean, who went to be with Jesus four years ago, and we commemorated her life four years ago yesterday. And now Merv and Jean get to be with Jesus, worshiping and celebrating. For them, their hope is, has been realized. And we, we are the ones that it's hard to say goodbye to. We're the ones who are left going, but I miss him. Yeah, of course we do. His family's here with us this morning. They miss him. We, his church family, are going to miss him. but he did not live in fear, not for one moment. And I'm grateful for that reminder. It's more meaningful today. You know who else realized that the empty grave combats our fear of death? The disciples. The disciples experienced this powerfully. I mean, because when they woke up on that first Easter morning, they were terrified that what had happened to Jesus would happen to them. That if they were caught by the same authorities that had caught Jesus, that they would be tried, beaten, and crucified as well. And so they hid in fear. But then they saw Jesus with their own eyes. Then they spent time with him. And their fear gave way to confidence and faith. And shortly thereafter... Those same disciples that were huddled in an upper room in Jerusalem began to stream out into the streets of Jerusalem as it's packed full of people into the same streets where Jesus had been forced to drag his cross and people hurled insults. They went out into the streets and began to proclaim that Jesus is Lord and he is alive. And yeah, they experienced pushback. Not everybody was excited about that message and not everybody received it. People began to hurl words at them, and then they resorted to hurling rocks, and yet these disciples did not change their tune. For me, the single greatest piece of evidence that I can point to for the fact that the tomb was in fact empty and that Jesus was in fact alive is the fact that the disciples' lives were so radically changed between the beginning of Easter and the end of Easter, When they saw Jesus, their entire trajectory of their lives was radically transformed. These men and women who were so terrified that they would be identified as followers of Jesus ultimately were willing to endure persecution in his name, and they never once changed their tune. We have seen Jesus. He is alive. He is Lord. He has done it. Even Peter... The one who denied Jesus, denied even knowing Jesus three times, even Peter, willingly died on a cross rather than to deny Jesus. That is the single greatest evidence for me, that the tomb actually was empty and Jesus actually rose from the dead. And all of our faith hinges upon that. So, how do we, how does How does the empty tomb combat fear? First, it reminds us that Jesus was, in fact, telling the truth. Secondly, it reminds us that death does not get the last word. Thirdly, it reminds us of just how deeply we are loved, how extravagantly we are loved. I love the way that Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8. Can we throw that up there? He says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... While we were still living in an open rebellion, Christ died for us. We have, it's kind of ironic when you think about the fact that we decorate our churches with Roman killing implements, which is another way of calling a cross. This was for a, a nation that was renowned for their ability to torture and kill. The cross was the single worst way that they could kill somebody, and it was reserved for the absolute worst people, or the ones you wanted to make an example of. And today, the cross has become a symbol of our hope, because Jesus redeemed us by going to the cross. That's what we talked about on Good Friday. Every time I look at the cross, particularly on Easter, I can't help but envision Jesus with his arms outstretched basically saying to us i loved you this much so much it hurts but well, my guess is there are some of you that are hearing this this morning and saying eh, sure he died for some but he didn't die for me why would he ever die for me i don't deserve that kind of love Several years back, I was, I was hiking through uh, Palomar Wilderness, and I ran across this building, and inside, there was this quote scrawled on the wall, I think with charcoal, and the quote was this, we only accept the love we think we deserve. It was profound enough that I had to write it down, and then I had to go look for it. It's found in a book called The Perks of Being a Wallflower. It doesn't really matter, but the truth of it is what matters, We only accept the love we think we deserve. And there are some of us here this morning who do not feel like they deserve to be loved that much. And so, despite the fact that Jesus may have died for you, you are not living out of that love. You are not willing to rest in that love. Instead, you are either holding it at arm's length, like, nope, that's too good for me, or you are doing everything you can to try to clean yourself up, to prove you're worthy of God's love. And I am telling you, you will never be able to clean yourself up enough to make yourself worthy of God's love. You can't do it. I certainly can't do it. And if you think that you have to be a good enough person to earn his love, you are buying into a human form, of a perspective of love that says, love is contingent upon our effort. But that is not the way that God shows his love. While we were still sinners, while we were still living in open rebellion to him, Christ died for us. At the end of the day, it is less about how much we love him and far more about how much he loves us. I, I would imagine some of you might be thinking, well, if I just loved God more, <laughs> then I would stop, you fill in the blank, right? I would stop doing these things that I, I, I know that he doesn't love that I do. If I just loved him more. And guys, I got to tell you, it is not about how much we love God. It is far more about how much he loves us. Our security is not based upon our efforts. That is insecurity. Our security in his love flows from the fact that we didn't do anything to earn his love. And so even when we mess up, he doesn't stop loving us. In the same way that when my kids disobey hypothetically, because they're perfect and they've never done anything, you know I'm I'm lying, so I'm just going to stop right there. Like when my kids blatantly disobey, when my kids are mean to one another because they feel a little bit insecure, so they want to push their brother down so they can feel a little bit better about themselves. When my kids behave like I behaved, like I behave sometimes, and it hurts my heart, I don't stop loving them. I lean in and I love them more. Our relationship with our Father is not contingent upon our efforts or upon our love. It has far more to do with His love for us. You want to know what the antidote to fear is in our life? Some of us are thinking the antidote to fear is faith, right? Because that's typically, it starts with F, it's got to be true, And a lot of times we think we just need more faith. But I would suggest to you that it is not. The true antidote to fear is love. Not our love, but his love for us. Imagine for a moment if you could allow yourself just to rest in how much he loves you. To rest in the love of a father who says, I know you've screwed up and I know you'll continue to screw up. I know that you will fall woefully short of the example that I and Jesus have set for you. But I'm not willing to give up on you. I'm not willing to turn my back on you. I love you this much. Imagine if you could simply live out of that. How would that change the way you live your life? How would it free you up to not be afraid to make mistakes? How would it free you up so that if you were to fail in business... Maybe you have to close the doors of your business. If you were to struggle in raising children, if you were to struggle in other areas of your life, that would not make you a failure. You are no longer slaves to fear. We are are now children of God. That's our new identity. The thing about fear Is that it, it tends to thrive in the shadow areas, right? It thrives in those areas where w- any scary movie you ever watch, what makes it so scary is the things you can't see, the things that are kind of hinted at, the things that you're like, what's it going to look like? That's where fear flourishes. And that's the reason Why the empty tomb is so darn important is because the empty tomb exposes the lie of the enemy. That if everybody knew what you struggle with and knew how imperfect you are, you would be rejected. That's why it's important to be in community with one another. So when the enemy whispers, Oh, you're a failure. You've had an abortion? Oh, you're a failure. You can say, No, I am loved. Oh, you struggle with pornography? You're a failure no i'm loved oh your kids don't want to talk to you you're a failure no i am loved our standing with god is not contingent upon our efforts upon our performance upon our worthiness if it was all of us would be hosed me first If only perfect people were welcomed into the family of God, I would be the first one out this door. We are not here because we are people who have it all together. We are here as people who say we desperately need a savior because we can't save ourselves. And I want to live for something greater than my own whims. That's why I'm here. Because trying to live for myself is pretty hopeless, pretty empty, but living for him is far greater. We are no longer slaves to fear. We are children of God. Thank Jesus for that. So we only accept the love we think we deserve. And I just wonder how your life would be different if you stopped trying to prove your worthiness of his love and simply started living out of his love, if you stopped trying to clean yourself up and simply came to the one who died to clean you up, trying to clean yourself up so that Jesus will accept you is kind of like scraping together to have somebody come and clean your house and then being embarrassed that your house is so messy so then you spend the entire day cleaning the house that when the house cleaner gets there, there's not a whole lot for them to do. It doesn't make sense. Let the freaking, I said freaking, sorry. Uh, Let the housekeeper do what the housekeeper came to do and let your savior do what he died on the cross to do. Stop trying to do it yourself. Love is the antidote to fear. Or to use a biblical verse to make the same point, John said it this way. Perfect love drives out fear i got news for you. You don't have the ability to love perfectly, so it's not your perfect love that's going to drive out fear. There's only one entity who has the ability to love perfectly, and that is our Father in heaven and in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, our triune God is the only one in all of existence that can love perfectly, and they have shown you how much we are loved. The cross is our reminder. The empty grave is our reminder of how deeply you are loved, And so this morning, as I invite the worship team to come back, and we are going to go into a time of response, I simply want to implore you, as one who has tasted and seen just how good he is, and just how gracious he is, and just how loving he is, stop trying to earn it. Stop trying to be good enough, because for those those disciples on Easter morning, they woke up despondent. Their hope was shattered. Their faith was dead. And when they saw Jesus alive, everything changed. Their, their lives changed. The way that they viewed Life changed. The way that they interacted with people changed. The way that they shared their faith changed radically. And my hope is that today your faith would change as well as you begin to rest in His love and as fear is evicted from your life. Because the empty tomb, Easter Sunday, tangibly reminds us that the very things that we fear most have been dealt with already. You fear death. We are reminded, those of us who have lost Merv this week and miss him tremendously, we are reminded that death does not get the last word. That's what the empty tomb reminds us of, and it is good news for us. You're afraid of rejection? I think a lot of us are. Jesus reminds us, even when you are at your worst, I gave my life for you, that's how deeply I love you. You can never fall so far as that I will stop loving you. You can reject this gift, but I gave my life for you, because I love you. You fear abandonment? Our Lord and our Savior says, you, I will never leave you or turn my back on you. You fear COVID? You fear cancer, you fear war, you fear children who don't, that rebel and reject, you fear you fill in the blank, our Lord and our Savior says this, come to me all you who are weary and overburdened with fear and I will give you rest. I think there's a lot of exhausted men and women who find themselves here today and it's Easter and we're supposed to be happy, but we're exhausted because we've been holding on to a lot, a lot of fear. And as we go into this time of worship, I want to simply invite you to unshoulder the pack of things you've been afraid of and lay them down at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, you handle this because I'm exhausted trying to control things that I have no control over. And I would be absolutely remiss as a pastor if I also didn't speak to those of you in this room that have been pushing the gift of grace away because you feel undeserving of it. You feel that you don't deserve it and we will only accept the love we think we deserve. Well, I want to remind you that you are not deserving of it. And that is why it is a gift And not a payment for good behavior. You cannot ever be good enough to earn his love. So stop trying. But you are loved. You don't believe me? Look at the cross because he loves us this much. Rest in that love. And accept that gift of grace that he bought for you. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus bought the most unbelievably gracious gift imaginable. And he paid more than an arm and a leg for it. He gave his whole life for it. And I simply want to remind you that that gift is available to you this morning. You don't have to go and do something to earn it. You don't have to jump through a hoop to prove your worthiness of it. You just need to do what anybody does when they are offered a gift that is far more extravagant than they deserve. Reach out and take it and say thank you. And so before we go into this time of response, I want to simply pray a prayer because there's nothing magical about how we do this. There's no incantation to make this happen. I'm just going to pray a prayer of acceptance because I want to remind myself of this gift of grace that I live every moment of every day out of. And I want to invite you, if if this resonates with your heart, to pray this or some other rendition of this along with me. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for loving me so tangibly so powerfully so completely i know i don't deserve it and so i say thank you for this gift jesus i choose to believe and i choose to follow you this gift is more than just a check box I recognize that this gift is an invitation to relationship, so I choose to follow you. I choose to model my life off of yours. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that helps me in my areas of weakness. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that comes in even now to begin cleaning houses. I want to live for you. Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. Our faith built off of the resting on the love of Jesus for us. Our profession of faith in the Holy Spirit in us makes us no longer slaves to fear, but it makes us children of God. It makes us family. And now as family, let's respond to a father who loves us so much that he would take upon himself what we had earned for ourselves so that we could be restored back into relationship with him. Let's respond as a family who have been saved by this amazing love that he has for us. Let's worship together. If you'd like to stand with us, feel free to stand.
1: The stars they went. The morning sun was day. dead. Be glad. Are
0: you guys having fun? Good. Hey, I love getting together with you, but I want to remind you that we come together for a short period of time, but Jesus didn't just die on the cross so that we don't have to be afraid of death. He died on the cross, not just to restore us back into relationship with the Father, but so that we can go and do what we were created to do. Here's the beautiful thing about the gospel message and about Easter, is it reminds us that what we are invited into because of the cross, he dealt with our past, he restores to us our present and our purpose, and he deals with our future. Past, present, and future all dealt with at once. And here is the present. We don't have to be afraid of death, but you were created to be an ambassador of hope. And there are people out there this morning whose only hope is a politician whose only hope is, is money in the mail or, or the IRS sending him something. Whose only hope, could you imagine if your only hope is the IRS? That would be awful. <laughs> <laughs> whose only hope is that their children will grow up to redeem their disappointments of their present. Whose only hope is climbing a corporate ladder thinking, hoping that they have put their ladder against the wrong wall. We have tasted and seen the hope. Our ladder is founded upon love. And quite honestly, there's one rung. I won't even throw that out, there's no rungs. We are living on a platform of love, and that love is not contingent upon our effort. It is contingent upon how much he loves us. And now you get to go and be ambassadors of that hope because we, not this building, are the church. And so if you are new here, if you're you're here today and perhaps you made a profession of faith, I want to invite you to share with us that you did so that we can walk with you, pray with you, support you. We were created not only to be in relationship with God, but to do life with one another. And I got to tell you, if you made a profession of faith today, the enemy is going to come hard at you. He's going to kind of slip in and begin whispering more forcefully, you're a failure. You don't deserve this. You really think that he could love you? Ah, don't listen to Eric. He hasn't got a clue what he's talking about. We have an enemy who's gonna come after you and we want to be able to support you. We wanna walk with you. And so if you, are, if you made a profession of faith or you just have questions or you wanna take a next step, maybe you wanna get into a life group that meets throughout the week, that is honestly the best part of what Lighthouse has to offer. It's not me. It's not this worship team on Sundays. It is community. It is doing life with one another. Holding one another up as we stumble through life and, and, and grow as followers, fully committed disciples of Jesus. If you want to take the next step, please just fill out your connection card. Let us know how, you know, let us know you're here. If you have questions, let us know. You can drop them in those white boxes. Some people might be putting tithes and offerings. If you're a guest here, please do not feel obligated to do that. Just let us know you were here. A lighthouse. You're the church. You are sons and daughters of God. The Holy Spirit is in you. So now go be the church. Have a wonderful Easter Sunday. We love you.